0: Welcome to It Could Be Said, Take Two, after what may have been the most incompetent two minutes in podcasting history. Not only did I trip over my word, for a podcast intro I have literally done 195 times and counting, I didn't realise that Simon had been kicked out of the Zoom call and was re-entering, And then as, you know, it took Simon a bit of time to kind of get on to the call and his volume to be synced up, I was like, okay, we actually will redo the intro after saying we wouldn't do it because it's too hot. I then promptly, rather than cancel the recording, I ended the meeting. And so we had to create a new meeting. So I think that is either us and incompetent, Simon, or a piece of performance art to show how the Tory leadership election is going. You decide, listeners.
1: You decide. I mean, I would certainly have preferred if the Tory leadership election had, en- had ended more quickly. And it turns out so would Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss.
0: <laughs> I mean, even these things like obviously Dr. Lou Middleton is not here today. And I was talking to him and he was saying that he could not put up with another week of this, let alone six weeks. But the reality is is that you'll have one more week of fairly furious campaigning, and then it does kind of die a death because people are on holiday, you're not having the drama of these successive rounds. You get into a much lower key where it's just rumbling along in the background, and it's not the main news story. So like we, we, we really only have one more day where it is kind of like the dominant political story um, but of course before we get into this we can never not talk about the Labour Party Simon do you have any any
1: thoughts on the Ford report? Look, look uh, like most people uh, who have commented on the Ford report on Twitter I haven't read it yet um, unlike most people who commented on Twitter I uh, will not be reading it and I'm therefore not going to comment on it no look I mean the the sense i get from it is it's my my sense and and as i say i haven't read it but my sense from you know commentary from people who i trust which in 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 internal politics in the labor party is about three people and i can't remember who they are but the labor party seems like a genuinely appalling place to work um and everyone seems to be profound and it it is really depressing you know That a political party that is supposed to be on the progressive side of these things, that is supposed to be standing up for, you know, human rights and human values, and talks about that so much, is quite obviously a totally toxic environment. Um, You know, two, two, two things on this. Uh, it's probably made me less likely to rejoin because I'm just like, okay, no, you know, whatever, whatever opinions I have share with the the leadership on what they might want to do, I just don't really want to be involved in that organisation particularly. Uh, and secondly, if anyone in Labour's central office enjoys their commute uh, but doesn't like working for the Labour Party, come and work with us. We're literally one floor above you. We're quite nice, and we have a free bar on a Thursday.
0: Oh, free bar. Which I, I was suggesting, uh, we're doing South Asian Heritage, remember at work? And uh, we're giving out uh, Asian sweets next week. It was meant Ooh. to be yesterday, but got delayed due to the heat wave. And um, I was like, you know what? I've been to some good Indian cultural festivals that have had gin bars. I vote we have a gin bar um, rather than the South Asian sweets or indeed ice cream vans, which we have on Monday and Tuesday at work due to the heat. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with giving uh, medical practitioners gin uh, during the, their working day. I, I think as long as
1: those medical practitioners aren't going into an operating theatre or similar in foreseeable, I mean, that's fine.
0: Well, no, I mean, we, we're a healthcare but so They might just give somebody some really bad advice about how to handle their healthcare or learning disability. Probably, probably not advisable, but you know, they, yeah. get the shape. they get the shake, it's not that big a deal,
1: true. But if you if you've, look, if, you, if you've if, if the NHS budget has enough gin to give people the shakes, then, um, then I, I will then I'm, I'll be honest with you, uh, I, I think I have more time for what Liz Truss is saying.
0: Well, it's is talking about giving them more money. It's, it's, this, is, this, is, this is the bizarro land we're in, where I am, dr- I am more dry than the Tory right candidates for Tory leadership. Like when, when, when she was talking on the, uh, I think it was the ITV debate, about how, well, we can roll over the COVID debt and pay it in long term. It's like, yes, that's right. That's not an excuse to in a deficit when inflation is high, because you're still pumping, pumping demand into the economy and that will make inflation go higher. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Don't do draconian cuts to try and get GDP down to an artificial level. No, the debt to GDP ratio down to an artificial level. Doesn't justify you doing like a load of uh, deficit finance cuts on day one. This is me, Simon. I'm, I'm thinking this to the supposed fact Right candidate in the Tory leadership election, I think this. I
1: mean, let's be let's. We, we we've started talking about Liz Truss, um, and so let's talk about Liz Truss. Like my sense, the whole my sense is that you've got Rishi Rishi Sunak, whose position and i his position in this election is appears to be actually there's a lot of problems this is traditional sort of, this is traditional Thatcherite economics, at least what we can call traditional Thatcherite economics because the woman's been out of power for more than 30 years. Um, And no one can really remember Thatcherism Thatcherism properly anymore. Um, And everyone else kind of going a bit insane and going, let's just cut taxes. Why? um, Taxes. We want to cut taxes. Why? Because we will win an internal election, the Conservative Party. And most, almost everyone thinks that it's about, you know, every sort of independent people think it's a bad idea. Um, It doesn't seem like a really good time because the economy, you know, is still in some dire straits. Um, yes, there's the infla. You know, it, the in, in, in although this is not a pay spiral driven inflation bubble. You don't, you know, you want to be careful. Um, and you know, tax cuts in general terms aren't going aren't like to make that better. It's 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 not a great advert for the Conservative Party. Is is my main, is often my big takeaway here.
0: Oh, and they agree with you because they cancelled tonight tonight's debate. So um, um, they agree, it's not a great out of it. Um I mean, to me, I mean, just on the point of inflation, I mean, the thing is, you know, sometimes cutting taxes, increasing public spending in the face of economic dire straits is right. It would have been the right thing to do in 2010 um, because demand was low, um, but demand is not low. Demand is high, like, um, oh, I, had, I had it in my last 58 a.m. column, but I think it's something like the, the nominal GDP. So there's this GDP without any calculation for inflation. So just how much cash is in the British economy, I think it's something like 220% higher than its nadar two years ago when we just went into lockdown. And obviously, that, that plunge was artificial, Was well, it was artificially induced, but it was real, like production did seize up, people mm. did stop work, factories did close, shops did close, and you just can't have that sort of expansion over a two-year period and not get quite gnarly inflation and... Look, Look! core inflation, when you strip out fuel and food, is still very high. The Bank of England seems completely asleep at the wheel. Like, you had, you know, the idiot governors talk about 2% in interest rate being a possibility, and it's like... Yeah, like, if we get away with 2% in interest rate in the face of 9% inflation, when the, the typical the typical um, formula is that interest rate should be double the inflation rate to bring it down, double the core interest uh, inflation rate. So I think nine, it's 9% inflation, but the core is like 6, 7. So arguably, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with this, but arguably you, you, you could be looking at 14% interest rate at some point. The idea the idea that you could get away with actually massively increasing the deficit is looney tunes. And like, honestly, like, again, I really hate having to say this. Like, it just shows how the base things have gotten where me, you know, the, you the, know, the, 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 the last Fedite stand in is saying stuff like this. But like, you had less just saying, well, no, it's fine if we make fiscal policy a bit looser. Because what we do is monetary policy should pick up the slack. And it's like, no, that's not the way it works. Monetary policy and fiscal policy should pull on the same rope. Like they intersect, they interact. So if you're telling the Bank of England to push back on your loose fiscal policy, then you're just going to get even tighter monetary policy, which will mitigate against whatever you're hoping to achieve with your loose fiscal policy. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, my heuristic is it's Thatcher, It's a Thatcherite versus a Reaganite.
1: Um, I, yeah, I, well, I mean, I, I, I always think that Thatcher's like, the myth of Thatcher is always more, more than she actually is. I, I don't think she's, you yeah. know, yes. House budget in the early 80s, but it's not like she didn't turn, you know, she didn't U-turn on that, you know, in spite of the terrible speech. Um, you know, yes, you know, and she was also well, really...
0: Well, well, yes and no, because you go remember, like, it wasn't the budget she U-turned on. It was the uh, emphasis on the money, money, money supply. So the early Thatcher government were doing all sorts of weird things with M1, M2, M3, and it turns out it's actually really difficult to quantify how much money is in the economy um, and, and, and the rate of change. like it, it, it wasn't as straightforward as the monetists thought. But you know, until they did break the back of inflation, they were actually pretty good at not going crazy with um, tax cuts, and they actually were pretty good at, at I say, pretty good. Like, this was all very damaging for the economy for all sorts of reasons. But, like, based on their ideology, they did do it. They did increase taxes when they came in. They did cut spending when they came in. Um, and it was only as they got growth that they started to kind of really go, go for meaningful tax cuts. Because, you know, I mean, people forget this, but, like, in 79... Yes, you got quite pronounced uh, income tax cut. But you got really swinging increases in VAT, which almost more than made up for the income tax cut. Yeah,
1: well that's that's and that's the way that that's the way that conservative politics you know it works. You you transfer income tax and you raise VAT, which generally does worse for poor people, which is why I don't vote for them. But you know
0: Indeed. But um we have got ahead of us ourselves. Shall we do scores on the doors, Simon? Um, so we had the third ballot of MPs yesterday.
1: Which Actually, is yeah, no, just, just, just to go back, because I realise um, that I, I, I was sad about the Labour and I didn't give you the chance to be sad about Labour because you got talking about Liz Trust. So uh, do you have any comment, anything to add beyond just a howl of anguish around the Ford report and the, and the Labour Party?
0: I quite like the fact that because it's going around saying everybody is awful, you're all a bunch of cum. People are going around going like, "Yeah, that sounds pretty fair." Uh,
1: it, it's not a good sign, though, is it? Like you you know, for you know, if a report came out about you know either of our workplaces and it was basically like, "Yeah, yep, yeah, they're all utterly dreadful from beginning to end. Doesn't matter what position you've got in this organisation, you basically are using racism to attack your." Your, your, the, the, your opponents uh, and it's a deeply horrible place to work and they yeah, that sounds about right to me
0: Yep, no, I mean I, I actually did at one point consider applying for some jobs in the Labour Party back in 2016 and I, I have made many bad decisions in my life yeah, since yeah. 2016, but not applying for those jobs is one of the good ones
1: Oh, we, We've all. I think. I think. I, I think. I once. Applied, I think. I once applied to work in Diane Abbott's office. So yeah, I, I understand the work. To have making terrible decisions thing.
0: Um, at least you get some free, pre mixed uh, spirits in the can. Yes. Always helps if you if you're working on a hot day. You know, I was an early adopter of them. I remember when they first came out because the first thought. Was JD and Cola. Yep. And this would be ooh, like 2010, 2011. And I always think it, it, they tasted like a glass of JD and Coke you had left from the night before and went back to drink the following afternoon.
1: I'll be honest, I've not done that, but maybe that's because I don't leave, you know, I wouldn't I don't leave drinks.
0: Well, you have a problem unlike me. I, 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 I know when to say enough is enough and stop drinking. Absolutely. Simon, when it stops being fun, stop.
1: Yes, very good advice. Very, very good mm-hmm. advice. How <laughs> was Amsterdam, by the way, Simon? It was delightful. Um, and actually, you know, it was, I. I I'll be honest with you, um, if you're going to find out about the Conservative leadership election results uh, in the first round, uh, wandering along a sunny canal in Amsterdam, uh, going to meet your girlfriend and drink some gin, is, is a really nice way of doing it. Nice. Uh, I nice. Would, would highly, I would advise this, I would, you know, I mean, it's, it's quite a specific thing, because you bu- you'd need to book your train or plane pretty much now. Um we'd be anything on it now, basically. But yeah, I, I would say if you can be in, you know, Amsterdam in the sunshine, having a pleasant evening with someone you love, what and then go, oh God, 58 people think Kenny Badenock's a good idea for the next prime minister. Um then then I'm then that is the thing I would advise to do. I um it, it, obviously
0: you I'm sure, coincidentally, you went out of the land of William of Orange on the week of the July 12th.
1: So, can I tell you a funny story about this? Go on. So, me and a regular podcast listener, who also happens to be my, you know, other half. Um, Hi, darling. Um, We're thinking about where we're going to go on a trip. And we were thinking quite seriously about going to Northern Ireland, because I have only been very briefly, and I don't think she's been at all, and we wanted to go around and see various things, and we'd worked out a week to go away, and then after several days I looked at the calendar and went, hang on, do we really want to be in Northern Ireland on the 12th of July, as a short ginger person with quite a posh English accent, is that a good idea? Will that, lead, will that lead us to being tied to bonfires or at least, you know, potentially caught in a riot, particularly in the first year of the Northern Ireland Protocol with an uncertain political situation? Hey, let's go literally anywhere else. That's why we went to Amsterdam. So your plan to escape the Orange
0: Order was to go to the land of William of Orange?
1: I, I, look, I, I, it's not, I'm not making a position on the Northern Ireland. Um, Northern Ireland's constitutional status. I just wanted a holiday where I didn't get murdered or, or attacked in any way.
0: Hey, look, hey, look, I, I'm, I'm the Catholic of the two of us. Like, I'm so Catholic, you know, Jim, Jim Alistair wouldn't retweet my very nice article saying that he was great. <laughs> he, he clearly got advance notice.
1: I think it's very sad that Jim Alistair has such a lack of self-confidence. <sighs> <laughs>
0: I, I I do have a way to do list at some point to watch GB News's coverage of the parade because a because I'd actually watch some GB News which I have not done but two actually like obviously like there was a lot of stuff about the the dark side of July twelfth and and the bonfires you know uh, uh, not not just nationalists but also um, non-sectarian, um, moderate, no, non uh, unionist um politicians being burned in effigy, which obviously is horrible and shouldn't be happening, and, you know, things like, you know, anti-Catholic slurs being used, which, again, is horrible. But there is, like, a... There is a lot of good in the celebration of history and culture. Um you know, that that, that Orange Order marches in the UK, in Great Britain, that Orange Order marches in the Republic. And it would be good if that, the good bit, the kind of genuinely communitarian, not the sectarian, but the communitarian side of July 12th could be kind of salvaged. And in the same way, we don't, we don't, we don't define things like St Patrick by the worst successes. We don't define the 12th by the worst successes because it sounds like it's quite a fun day, to be honest. Lots of marches and music and big bands sounds quite nice,
1: to be honest. Okay, okay. Let me, let me, let me just say that my reasons for not visiting Northern Ireland over the 12th. I'm not. Make, I'm not. Make, I'm genuine. Gen- I have a lot of time, and I think people should be allowed to march, you know, safely as with any as with any protest or, or other form of march. I think people should be allowed to march safely. I think people should be allowed to, you know, express their position. I think there is something quite, yeah, you know, there is something quite good about a community, you know standing up and talking about heritage um you know your position is right the reason i didn't want to go was that particularly in 2022 with tensions in northern ireland let's put it that way i did not know what what northern ireland would look like on that you know there was undoubtedly a chance where something could have gone very wrong and i think that putting ourselves in that position was a bad idea
0: no i agree i agree um, and if you go, actually, it went off remarkably well.
1: This, I was actually I well. was, as, as I was recounting that story, I was just thinking, hmm, I didn't actually read any stories about the 12th at all in Northern Ireland beyond the fact that GB News covered it with Arlene Foster. So I was like, oh, it must actually have passed off pretty peacefully.
0: No, but, saying, like, there, were some, there were some issues with um, politicians being burnt in effigy and anti Irish, anti Catholic slurs being used, mm. but there wasn't really any issues with violence. So, well, not anything significant, anyway. But anyway, you can t- can you tell me, and Simon, aren't overly infused to talk about the Doom March to Wishy Doom Act versus Listros? It it, it, it it so so
1: like just where 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 are we? Where, where did we get up? Where did you and Luke get up to in this so, so, in, in this exciting so, jamboree of mediocrity?
0: So we, we did the, the, the first two ballots, so I'm, I'm going to give the stores on the Doors mm-hmm. third and fourth. But before we do, any thoughts on the first two ballots and uh, Penny, Penny Mania?
1: Um, so let's... I'll, I'll put Penny Mania to one side because, yes, that's worth talking about and that particular oddness. Um, like, the first ballot was was very fun, if only because, I mean... What, what a week Nadim Zahavi had. I mean, and this is, so this is the weird thing. Rishi Sunak resigned as Chancellor two weeks ago today. That's one of those things that I find completely mind-blowing, is that, like, more just, you know, two weeks ago, we were just starting the, 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 round, the rounds of resignations that would end two days later with Boris Johnson. Right. <laughs> I can I can win up you.
0: We have not yet reached a month since the
1: two by-election losses. No, no, I'm sorry. Those by-elections were in the Cretaceous period. That's fine. I mean, no. I, it was the 23rd of June. No, I'm not. I, I don't disbelieve you. I, I don't. I don't <laughs> think you're. I don't think you're lying. I just don't believe you. It's a different <laughs> thing, right? <laughs> Like, time has stopped still. Time is, I mean, it's weird actually because I was listening to uh, one of the, uh, I think the latest episode of the Guardians Football Weekly podcast, which I believe you're also a, a fan of. Yes, I am. Um, and, and Barry Glendelly was like saying, Gosh, I can't remember the last season. It seems like such a long time ago. Time has just had this weird, like, and, and the last season notably start, finish, start, ended very recently and, is, and the new one is starting more. We just, at some point in between the pandemic and the collapse of reality in British politics and it turns out the climate emergency really coming home to roost, we've just lost all sense of time. Let's just, we we need an August and we're not going to get it this year. We need about two months over a summer where like, do you remember in the like, I don't know, early noughties when the headline on the one o'clock news would be like, government to announce incredibly boring policy to give pensioners free bus passes if they own a duck. Oh well, no, it's not, it's not early Norton, because that's when Bush was in the white House.
0: It is. It's the point up to 9-11. Yeah,
1: that's yeah, that's when, fair.
0: That's when news became interesting. That's when you... So we've had this slow ramp-up of, like, normies getting involved in the news, and deep down Dennis, Dennis Healy was right in a functioning democracy, people have the freedom to ignore politics. Yeah. Um, which I don't think British people have at the moment.
1: I, I mean, I, I don't think they have, and I think the climate, I know, I know you know, like, I, climate means we're probably not going to have it ever again. Um, I, but... I don't know. I mean, I think, I think obviously weird
0: stuff sort of is happening with the climate. Um, and obviously we need to kind of, you know, stop pumping shit into the air. It would be a good idea. I do think, look, it might be that this is a one-off for us because this isn't in most of the models that we have weather like this on a regular basis. Like, I think in the same way that when people, when it snows in March, idiots say, Oh, uh, what well, about global warming? <laughs> like, well, you, you do sometimes get a hot summer. Like, maybe this is just an exceptionally hot summer. But, um, yeah. I, 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 to me, I, 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 I... The other thing as well is... We, sorry, just one other thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I also think that the sad thing is this would be perfectly manageable if we all had air conditioning. So actually, if this does become the new normal, and it may well, it may melt well, it, it may well, might what we actually do is we burn more fossil fuels so we get to be nice and cool.
1: Well, this. Th- thank you. Thank- firstly, I was, I was, I was about to, I was about to shout at you, but you actually made the point I was going to make, so that's nice. Because <laughs> I, I was just about to say, a lot of people have been going, oh, it's terrible. Britain doesn't have, air. you know, Britain is a country that doesn't have air conditioning, and you oh, know it should do. It's like. That will make things worse because of the thing we know is a problem. I think this, I mean, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that you're saying this is sort of normal and this is like seven of the 10 hottest, you know, temperatures recorded in the UK have happened, I think, since 2003.
0: I definitely Um, noticed this. Like it used, winters used to be colder. I I know that's the old man point to make, but winters used to be colder
1: and summers used to be wetter. No, I mean, I mean, I think that's the thing I noticed, is we don't really have... Prop, I mean, we don't have winters where it's sort of, you come out of your house, and oh, oh, oh it's, oh, it's cold again. You know, we, that was a that was thing that happened between about the middle of November and the middle of February. It used to be that it was proper, and it isn't now. That has changed. I mean... We had that weird winter in twenty. It was twenty ten slash eleven because I was living in a flat I couldn't really heat in Alperton, uh, where where it was cold, where it was under zero for several months. But other than that, we really haven't had a winter which has been. We
0: had we had one in twenty seventeen that was pretty bad. But yeah, but normally they're pretty good now, Um, and like summers as well, like. I think it's been a long time since you've had a summer that's been completely rained off. And my memory of being a child is you did have summers where, like, the first half of June was just complete rain and it was just complete ripe off. Um, also, the first half of July, even, which of course had somebody in Leicester who who had the earliest holidays, uh, was very wounding. Um, but yeah, but no, like, but this is the thing, isn't it? Like, fundamentally, we as a country will be okay because we'll just chuck money and fossil fuels are the problem. Um, it will be countries like, um, you know, uh, Af- no, be places like Africa, countries such as Bangladesh, they're the ones who will be screwed by climate change. And so I, I personally think, you know, the way climate change changes our politics is not directly because we'll be fine. It will be intensifying the migration crisis
1: yeah oh, oh absolutely yeah if you if you don't like yeah if you don't like um migration then boy if i got some bad news for you about climate change oh say that again i mean you just broke up there oh sorry. no I, I, if, you don't, if you don't like immigration then boy i got some bad news for you about climate change
0: well, i mean it's just like i mean oh the, the, the what may happen to bangladesh is like legitimately heartbreaking because they're actually a pretty well run country yeah and they are so far mo- on most models.
1: I mean, like, it, it is basically high, here's, here's what happens if you've got 100 million people in a ridiculously small... I can't remember how big Bangladesh is, but it's comparable to incredibly small countries. Um, but it's 100 million people basically in a river delta on, on sea level. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, yeah. Into, over the last, sort of, over recent years, they've been a democracy. They're getting, you know, they're getting wealthier. They are, you know, they're doing, they're doing everything you should be doing as a country and subcontinent. But at some point, you just kind of know that they're going to cease to exist.
0: I think one of the really interesting things, um, obviously you live in London, is how... We will have to rethink our cities. And obviously, it just whack an cut into everything is an easy answer, but is no. Will we have to knock down buildings to have more um, less heat-intensive materials? To? Um, you, you you'll get the usual idiots say that London needs to become less dense, but Japan, is, no, Tokyo is warmer than London is, and Tokyo is is much much denser. So I don't think that's the case. London may have to think about how does it cope basically a city is a giant microwave. You know, like yeah, there is not the stuff that in nature allows things to cool. But hey, good news! Oh how yeah, oh if you did, did Ed Ed Westley to that, at least we'll be able to grow wine in England again.
1: So I, I saw I saw kind of him sell it, and I was about to call him. He, I mean. Does his position seem to be? Well, we've had this happen before. Which, no, we haven't really.
0: No, I think I, I I don't think it committed to a point that much. I mean, I think it's 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 a point I have some sympathy for, which is, um, the climate is very mysterious, and we know there have been very sudden shifts in climate. Um, um, very sudden shifting in climate even before the Industrial Revolution you know, heat waves, ice ages um, so even if you can observe something changing, it doesn't necessarily mean it's linked to, to man's involvement, I mean I think there's plenty of evidence that actually this is linked to man's involvement um, for all sorts of reasons But I think it also says that actually, just more generally as a issue, we probably have to think really deeply about how we mitigate and manipulate climate. Because even if we solve this issue that we've created ourselves, in 100, 200 years time, there may be an issue that was no fault of our own. Um, And so actually it was a fairly interesting Kind of like potted history of change of, of like how Europe's climate waxed and waned mm. and what impact that had on human civilization.
1: I think, yeah, no, and I, I, think you're, I think you're right. And I think, but I think, and I think the thing is that there's, there's a confusion sometimes between like long term, like centuries like trends and the shift we've seen in the last, frankly, the last 10 years where things have changed dramatically in a short period of time. And that's something that feels, that's something quite clearly quite different.
0: Yeah. No, and I think, and I think. I. It is one of these ones where I, I I do think one of the things people don't realize climate issue is one of the issues. No, we are all facing. Is it. It is not as simple. uh, um, replacing what is currently fossil fuel with uh, renewables, because one of the issues we actually face is that the demand of electricity will rise. Because at the moment, you know, a car a car isn't isn't ran off fossil fuel generated electricity; it's ran off petrol or diesel. So actually, the amount of electricity we as a society will need is about kind of significantly increased. And the other issue we still haven't factored in is actually a lot of the kind of carbon, energy-intensive stuff we do is things like making concrete, making steel, building things. And we are no closer to working out how to do that in a carbon neutral way
1: yeah no it, it's 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 a re, it's really serious and it's the thing you know and, and and i think to sort of go back to the topic we approximate. We, we we are slightly dodging around due to its sheer inanity in some ways um is is, the, is is the lack of discussion of that in a in a in the in the in the conservative leadership election you know we've got this is, this is people who are asking us that uh, are saying we don't want to leave this country this is, this is the biggest challenge we face I, I would hope after the last couple of days where it's become patently clear this, the effect of this that you might you know I, 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 even if I were not to disagree, even if I ended up not agreeing with the climate you know, the sort of climatological position of these people I, I at least would be interested in you know listening to what they had to say but the reality is that um you know the the reality is they're not even talking about this they're they're not even discussing this you know they're they're more interested in talking about you know having the right names on on toilets they they're interested in you know talking about these sort of voodoo economics this is not this is why, in the end, it feels like a fundamentally unserious and almost pointless exercise.
0: Well, it's not just those. I mean, some people are, are, are advocating for harmful things. There's trustless things, Scott the green levy. Tom Hugenholtz is talking about. Um, I think Penny Mordaunt as well are both talking about reduces the duty on fuel. Actually, I want to talk about that, actually because this is this is me with a bugbear energy prices across Europe are going up because we have fell out with Russia. Yep. We have fallen out with Russia because we think their invasion of Ukraine is bad. And we would really like them not to stop invading Ukraine. But we've applied sanctions on them to stop them making money on the global market. Now, unfortunately, the turbulence caused by the invasion, caused by the sanctions, has meant that the price of oil and gas has gone up quite a bit, which means even though Russia is actually selling less than they were, they are making more money. So what you need, what surely the point of the sanctions is at some point you hit a moment where the price is so high, it starts to force reduces in consumption, which would then mean that consumption has fallen to the point that Russia is not making more money than it was back in January 2022, because this is how sanctions uh, Russia to give British people or American people, uh, there's a lot of these wacky ideas America or European people, a lot of these wacky ideas across Europe, to give our own people money so they can keep affording the expense the fuel that is more expensive because we have sanctioned Russia, but by doing so the consumption levels never fall, so the sanctions will never hurt Russia like we intended them to. That's idiotic. I mean, this is, I mean, and like Tom Tukahar is meant to be this hawk. This is meant to be his issue. I mean, he can't just say, well, actually, fossil fuels are bad because they fuel, um, but, but not intended, they fuel Vladimir Putin's war machine. And your patriotic duty, your duty to the free world is to really minimize your consumption of oil and gas until we have defeated vladimir putin if well, I... he can't say this if joe biden can't say this what are we doing here
1: well it's it, there's two there's two things isn't there one one they're both rubbish i mean that's that's you know they're both not very you know they're not very impressive and you are know, you're asking you're asking people to do something uncomfortable you know, let's be honest. You're asking them to, you know, live a less comfortable life, and you need someone properly inspiring to be able to do that. And um, well, I'm looking across Western Europe and you know the West generally, and um, yeah, I'm 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 coming. I mean, who is who 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 do you think you know you're, you're going to get making the great tub thumping speech? Olaf Scholz, Emmanuel Macron, Pedro Sanchez, you know. Justin Trudeau. I mean, these are they, they, we just have a very. There's no. There's no sort of. There's no one I think who can lead globally, and that's a problem. But the other thing is that you know, with the best, the the war in Ukraine is not. It's a total war for the Ukrainians. It is also. It is also broadly a total war for the Russians. It's uh, not.
0: It's not really.
1: There's not. Putin's still not mobilized. Hmm. But it's like you know, it's a seri- it's a serious. Yeah. Okay, maybe it's just a total war for Ukraine. It isn't for the rest of the world, basically. Like, it's very, very difficult to say to people, this place that, that you know, you probably hadn't heard of a year ago, to be frank, or if you had, you went, "Oh, those guys that won Eurovision a couple of times." You know, I oh, we've got to, oh, we've got to fundamentally change our lifestyle for them. Now, I'm not, obviously, it is more difficult, but, like, it's, it's bigger than that in many, many ways, but it's very, very difficult to convince people to do that when, you know, the war in Ukraine does feel like it's, you know, far, at the moment, it does feel like it is far, far away. You know, we are—we aren't. its isn't front page of the newspaper every day anymore. It isn't. You know, and I'm not saying that that's. I don't know. It's a difficult. You know, I, I don't know what how we how they how we could do that. But.
0: Oh, I'm, but but you you're literally spending money to counteract your own policies.
1: No no I look well the the reason they counteract their use spending money is that they know that they know that the selectorate here are let's be clear pensioners yeah no, no, like, but i
0: don't I, I don't think it's the toy thing like Biden suggested a um a gas tax holiday I, surely if you've decided you can't afford high energy prices high uh, petrol, gasoline prices. You just go to the Russians. Uh, yeah, we got a bit overexcited with these sanctions. We still oppose you over Ukraine, but how about we let your central bank access its reserves? And we let... I mean, they are at this moment in time. The EU is doing weird things with the Canadians. So the Canadians can ship essential parts so the Russians can complete maintenance on Nord Stream 1. Um, Otherwise, it it would be inoperable, apparently. Like, how about you just kind of say, we went a bit far. If you end the green embargo in a black sea, if you promise to fulfill our oil and gas orders, then we will let you have your central bank money back. Uh, And if we don't want to do that, then we shouldn't undercut the effect of sanctions.
1: Yeah. No, look, I, 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 it's not that I disagree, but I think the problem is that it does feel like these sanctions... People love sanctions if they don't affect them, and these, these sanctions are biting people at home, and it's really hard to convince them. I'm not yeah. sure people are yet willing to you know, say that, you know, sanctions are worth you know, economic painful. And you have to have some sympathy with that position, you know.
0: No, I do. But, like, just be honest about it then. Don't do this weird Eve Robinson, we're going to keep the sanctions on the books, but we're going to spend real money to mitigate the impact of our own policies. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe this is just me being way too logical. No,
1: um, I, I, I-, I think, it's, I think it's, the pro- it's a huge, it's the problem of you know, people wanting to stand up and say people wanting to seem like they're doing the right thing. Everybody knows that they have that, you know, everybody in theory wants to defeat Russia. Of course they do because that what they did in Ukraine and what they're continuing to do in Ukraine is horrific, but they also don't want to end up with four or five, You know, they also don't want to see a collapse in their polls as people go, um, your policies are meaning that I can't feed my kids now. And, well, and, it has to be, and it has to be said, like, the energy cap stuff in this country is pretty horrific,
0: but, like, have you seen the stuff coming out of Germany?
1: Uh, no, and I, you know, you yeah. know.
0: Like, I... like I, I, as a podcaster, I'm probably one of the most prominent people saying, hey, why, why don't we just do a deal with Putin to get the gas and oil uh, flows going again? You have, like, regional state premiers saying that in Germany. Like, they are freaking the fuck out. Like, you've got people saying, if a deal with Russia isn't concluded soon, we are witnessing the death of the German economic model.
1: Yeah, and that's bad, because, like, Germany is the main export... is the main, like, import partner for most of the rest of Europe.
0: Well... (laughs) It's a difficult one, isn't it? But like it's it, it's good on its back it it obviously, what it might do to German politics may not be good. Um, the last time Germany went through a bad economic crisis, it didn't go too well for the world.
1: no, um, no, no, um yeah,
0: um, they didn't take it well. Um, but equally, like like the German. I mean, this is one. I mean. I don't want to go into too much into the EU. This is not what we're talking about. But like, the Germans and the French, partially because we egged them on to make these fronts too. Uh, much to the French, the French is annoying. Much the French is annoying. But, like they've got the European Union that straddles, you know, from the Channel to the Mediterranean, from the Baltic to the Black Sea. But like, they. Struggle to see beyond the Rhine. And so, like, you know, you've got common citizenship, you've got a single market, you've got this industrial nexus where, like, Poland, the Baltic states, Bulgaria, Romania are like integral parts. And you're like, oh, there's no harm, and we maintain this close relationship with Russia. That doesn't make the whole thing completely schizophrenic and uh, incoherent. Likewise, um, we are going to do whatever we can to keep our costs low, even if it undercuts um, poorer areas that could provide our services at a cheaper rate. And it screws our own citizens over because they're accepting poorer living standards if we just know, if Germany did what every other major developed economy has done, which is go up the supply chain, go up the specification chain, and start to reserve your industry for the most highly skilled elements of production. And it just makes a complete nonsense for the whole single market. It's just a it's just German con job.
1: Yeah, no, I mean it's it's, it's 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 difficult because you know, yeah, Germany is the largest economy in the in the EU and
0: then the on the rest of the EU.
1: The views
0: of Will Calling do not represent the rest of the other members of it could be media. Will calling is solely responsible for what he says about Germany and this economy.
1: When are you planning when are you hoping to go back? Um just, just, you know, just to see. <laughs>
0: I think I actually did have this discussion with one German um, whilst I was in Germany back when I used to go for the wrestling, and yeah, that German didn't talk to me again.
1: Wow!
0: They were not impressed.
1: Yeah, people, people don't like that. They, they, they. There's this, you know.
0: <laughs> we still love you, Greece. Anyway. Speaking of things the Germans don't like, how goes the Tory leadership election? Oh like? yeah, that again.
1: That um, it, it is, it is, it is marching along. Um, so as we record this on the evening of the nineteenth of July, we've now had the third round. Fourth. Round. Fourth. Oh God. See, I mean, there was obviously a whole round. I forgot. I was probably drunk. Um, I. I- I am bitter about this because I, I should have called the order perfectly
0: because I said Hunt would come last. The yeah. Harvey would come second last but be beneath the 30 to proceed. Braver Moon would fail to get, uh, would, be, would be eliminated in the next round. Tugan Heart would be the next last. But that, uh, but my prediction was is that he would withdraw because his race was clearly run. Of course, because he's a massive egotist who served in the army. He um, did not in- that
1: much, though, to be fair.
0: No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Um, he insisted on doing both debate and the Monday round of voting, even though he clearly wasn't going to go anywhere. And lo and behold, he lost one vote. Which, by the way, that was pretty incredible. I, I thought he was going to lose quite a bit more than that. Um, and I want to make it for the record. Luke thought he might gain, uh, gain votes.
1: It's a, it's a decision.
0: It's a, I think Luke was blinded by the promise of 3% of GDP being spent on the military. Well, his um, trust is going
1: for that now as well. So. Yes,
0: I saw that. Yeah, more money uh, to, to uh, add, add add to the deficit, um, uh, and so then you would have not going out in the fourth round, and then you'd be left with Mordon, Truss, and Sunak as a final three. So, like, I have got the order right, but the one the thing that has stopped me running a perfect game is the fact that Peter Hart didn't didn't step down when he should have.
1: I, I, so I, I, I think am you're really bitter about that. I think you're beating yourself up unfairly. There, I think that I think that's very impress. I think that's very impressive. I think you know. So the question then is: is uh, Mystic Mystic will um, where 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 you know where what happens tomorrow?
0: Well, if you read journalists on Twitter. A lot of them think the. the these numbers make less sense than Pakistan cricket scores in the mid-noughties. That, you know, weird stuff is happening here, and um, so I, I I don't think we really know what what was going on with Badnath's um, uh, score because you know you had this weird thing on the four, on the third round where Sunak gained Sunak gained way more voters than he should have.
1: Yeah, particularly Um, considering it was yeah considering who let who who let who lost out last time,
0: um, and then this time round, Truss has gained way more than you would have assumed based on Tugendhat uh, going out. Um, So I think there's been a lot of gameplay going. I would not be surprised if potentially you had say fifteen Tugendhat supporters. Who gave their vote to Badenoch um, before defecting to Mordaunt With the idea being maybe we get we could we could Badenoch could knock out this trust. Unfortunately, those fifteen were more than cancelled out by Badenoch supporters going to this trust to make sure that didn't happen. But if you, as much as you can, take these numbers on face value, and we should just we we'll just go through the fourth round now. So, you've got Sunak on 180, which I think means he's two away from uh, yep. getting uh, get into the final round. You've got Mordant on 92. You've got Truss on 86. And you've got Badenoch on 59. Yeah. So, basically, given the fact that Badenoch is on the right of the party, um, Mordant needs to somehow. Gain. No, nah, hang on. I More than somehow needs to keep List Truss's net gain below plus six to get through to the second round. And I think if you just kind of say what you would have thought would have happened beforehand, I think most people would have expected List Trust to more than gain an additional six vote from Badenoch. Over what Penny Mordaunt was gaining from Bad or not. So, the only way Mordaunt somehow gets into the final, the members' round, is if Bad, a load of Badanox supporters go over to Sumac. Because like, I can't see them going up, many going over to Mordaunt. Some will, but I just see it in big numbers. Um, but I think you're looking at a big Badenoch endorsement for Sunak tomorrow morning, well, Wednesday morning, so to today when most people are listening to this. And then, you know, Sunak is then clearly the number one pick on, you know, 130, 140, maybe even 150. And Mordon just scrapes it. And obviously one of the things we've had today is this whole weird thing with Tobias. Tobias, Elwood, um, the, the lesser-known blues brother, um, being a, having the whip withdrawn, that is one, one less vote for Penny Mordaunt. You have had the difference between second and third candidate, be one vote, uh, Ken Clark, uh, Michael Portillo, sorry, Ian Duncan Smith, Michael Portillo. Yeah. So it's, it is not impossible that that could
1: make all the difference. I mean, the, the entertain uh, people who are doing the maths, basically, there is still the entertaining and, uh, I agree, unlikely prospect that, uh, that, they, that there's a tie. There could be a three-way tie. Now, there's, no one else seems to know the answer to this, and you're the only person who is geeky enough to possibly have read the rules detailedly enough to, uh, do you know what happens if there is a three-way tie?
0: I do. Um, I actually corrected Stephen Bush about this. Um... Like The Tory party doesn't do anything as vulgar as letting people read their rules. Um, But there is precedent. David Davis and Michael Ancrum tied for less in 2001. Yes. And they they redid the
1: round. So they would just redo the round again, presumably on Thursday.
0: No, they've actually announced... So so since I said this, they've announced that they would just do it on Wednesday. They would just, I think that's why, this may be why it's a bit earlier actually. Um, they would just go immediately into another round. Um, um, I think on Wednesday.
1: Oh, so, so yeah. th- there would be, there'd be that, I mean, let's be clear, the Thai thing is not going to happen. It's very unlikely. Um, but it would be incredibly funny. Uh, so there it would was be... A, a,
0: thing, it was incredibly funny when it Michael Ancrum, and David Davis, particularly because they tied last. And so there was quite a bit of annoyance that they refused to withdraw. And then mm. what happened is, is they both lost support. I think Michael Ancrum came last in, in the rerun, and David Davis had to kind of embarrassingly also withdraw at the same time.
1: Because, uh, yeah, it's completely obvious where... Yeah. This, yeah. Um, uh. But, I mean,
0: I just feel... So I, this is, the, this is one of my pet talking points as to it. I went through from 1868, because of course, the second reform, I don't know if you've heard me say this before, Simon, the second reform act is when modern British politics started.
1: Yeah, I, I have heard. Yeah, I have <laughs> Um,
0: So I went through all the occasions where there's been a mid-parliament change in prime minister and what they're... The, the incumbent's previous position was. So you have four people who are foreign secretary, six who were chancellor, two who had a defence role during the World War, so obviously Lloyd George Churchill. You had two who were effectively deputy prime minister, so Arthur Balfour, who was leader of the House of Commons, first lord of the Treasury. Um, you had Stanley Baldwin, who was Lord Privy Steele. Leader of the biggest party in parliament, um, in the national government, and then you have Bon uh, Bon-A-Law, Andrew Bonolaw, who had been deputy prime minister and chancellor, but had resigned due to ill health and came back, brought his uh, brought his no, the incumbent down, and you have Boris Johnson, who had been foreign secretary and no helped bring down his, um, the incumbent. And so one of the things I think people don't realise is is that if Rishi Sunak becomes prime minister, literally a once in a generation, a once in a century event would have happened twice in three years. Mm. Like it's very easy to think of Sunak as a steady as you go, this is what would normally happen. But actually A, a, whilst the whole no, he who wields a dagger never inherits the crown is a load of nonsense. People who resign from cabinet don't typically get to become prime minister. Um, Like you wield the dagger in a way where you get to keep your great office of state. So Sunak is a very unusual challenger for the leadership. Trust, although obviously she is foreign secretary. You know, she's only been foreign secretary since September and she's done fuck cool. And what fuck all she's done hasn't been very impressive. Um, you know, there's a reason why Ben Wallace, you no, know, uh, straddles the Conservative Party like a Colossus. And part of it is, is that he's picked up a lot of the stuff that this trust would have normally done because this trust just isn't a very good communicator. She's got no achievement as foreign secretary. Um, unless you want to believe this partakem village that is the North Island Protocol Bill which might somehow manage to be unilateral enough to provoke a trade war with the EU but timid enough to not actually solve the issues.
1: She, uh, she, she, she will point to I'm the one that got Nazanin to go Iraq about.
0: Yeah but she didn't actually give the Iranians their money so they've, they've just They've just arrested another British person in the round.
1: Well done, everyone. This is all good. Yeah, but it's not one we've heard of and she hasn't got an attractive family who hasn't got an attractive family willing to go on hunger strikes. And no one cares.
0: Didn't that happen under the
1: No, her coming, her, uh, Ratcliffe being released. I'm sure. I'm looking this up now. I think I think Nazanin's release. So she became Foreign Secretary in September last year. I'm looking up Nazanine's a guy Ratcliffe now. Because... She was finally released on the 16th of March
0: 2022. Okay, so it is literally it, yeah, it, that's not that's not an achievement. That's just what some of the Americans to fuck off.
1: Hey, that's an achievement of sorts. <laughs> you know.
0: It's fun. Um, the um, but you, so I think the person that most compares to list trust is John Major. But the thing, the difference between this trust and John Major is, is one: John Major had been a good chief secretary for the treasury, whereas this trust hadn't. Been. You know, like like John Major was genuinely well regarded for actually getting spending reviews agreed with cabinet ministers without recourse to, like, the Star Chamber. But as Chancellor, he had, a, he had a, that brief, weird stint as Foreign Secretary, which, like, he was offered Foreign Secretary, and even John Major's going to Margaret Thatcher. Um, I don't think i will be a very good Foreign Secretary. I think you should get Douglas Third to be the Foreign Secretary. <laughs> um... But as Chancellor, he had a genuine achievement because he got Thatcher to sign up the ERF, which I'm sure was very important to making the medicine go down in terms of the Europhiles signing on to Thatcher's chosen successor. Why is this trust, you know, of of that significance? Nothing. Like, honestly, like, I know Dominic Robb has become a bit of a punch in back unless you're uh, uh, our friend Lewis Brown, who's on the podcast with me and Luke on Friday. Rob has more achievements, the foreign secretary,
1: than Liz Truss. But I... I mean, I suppose the answer is... that I mean, what's... The question is fine, but, like, you know, you're dealing with a pretty achievement-liked government. Um, and that's partly because COVID meant everything stopped for 18 months, but also... Uh, because they're rubbish. That's quite important.
0: But this is thing like, when people think, why are we getting weird things like Penny Mania, Kemi Badenoch getting 58 votes? It's because the alternatives are rubbish. Like, it's very easy to look at Sunak and Liz Truss from a distance and be like, ah, he was Chancellor for two years, ah, she's the current Foreign Secretary. These are strong candidates. They're not. They're rubbish, and and the Tory members know they're rubbish, which is why they are they are looking for alternatives. And to defend mine and Luke's honour, this is why, god damn it, we were right, reality was wrong, because this should have been Ben Wallace. Yeah. There is a Ben Wallace hole in this leadership election because, like I know, I'm yeah, I think everybody. Has listened to this podcast. Know I am not wholly on board with uh, the government's approach to Ukraine. Um, but they have an approach, it is popular, they have fulfilled um, it the best of their abilities. Um, and Ben Wallace has been a pretty good figurehead for the approach. Um, so I just, I mean, this is where I was saying to you before we started the show, I was going to talk about the genius of Alexander Soom's election rules once he drew up the toy party in 1965. He did, to be fair, forget to um, write in the ability to challenge the leader. So they had to get him back in 75 to finish the job. Um, But to me, one of the things he wrote into the rules is that whilst the bottom place candidate would be eliminated, new candidates could enter. Um, and actually, I don't think they even eliminated candidates. I think you could, you would just go through ballots until you had a winner. And to me, obviously inspired by like the American party convention rules um, back when they controlled who'd be the presidential candidate rather than voters through primary. But, like, I think the ability for, like, a, a stronger candidate to eyeball the field, be like, oh, no, this is crap. I can do this better. I will get more support. And put their name forward actually is good. This idea that the Tory party and, no, we as a country are locked in to the, you know, the eight, don't know what it is it, the 10 lemons who wanted, no, 12 lemons, the dirty dozen who wanted to put their name forward, the eight who actually got enough nominations to go through to the first round. Just stupid.
1: But um, I, th- I think that even if, you know, Ben Wallace, even if, you know, Ben Wallace looked at this, was, was given the chance, I don't think he wants, I don't, think he, I genuinely don't. I think he might be the only person who doesn't want the job. Because it seems obvious to me, when, he, when his like, statement was made, and he made a couple of statements after it, he clearly is going to be the next Secretary-General of NATO. And he's decided that's... And, and it feels like that's sewn up to him. He released a statement about um, British troops being sent to do training in Sweden and Finland that could have been written from the NATO headquarters in Brussels. Yeah, that's the job he's decided he's going for. I don't think he's endorsed anyone in this leadership election. Um, it feels like he's kind of, he's basically tapped out of um, internal conservative politics. He's going to stay on his defence sector until the job, until Stol- Stoltenberg's, ter- Stoltenberg's term at uh, NATO headquarters is up, get that job and, and leave British politics, for which, which, you know, I can only respect, really.
0: I mean, even I would probably think twice if you gave me the option of winning NATO or being British Prime Minister. And it was up to me. NATO wouldn't exist anymore.
1: Well, I think, I mean, I, I don't know why he, he doesn't seem to want the job because I think he could have, he could have put a serious run together. He could have been, you yeah, who know, who knows? I think you're right.
0: I, I think you're right. There. Like, British Prime Minister is going to be a fucking awful job. Like, it would be an awful job. If you had a nice party that was willing to be led and had clear ideas about what it wants to do with the next two and a half years, but like trying to grapple with these this hellish range of issues with this complete shit show of a party, yeah, you know, go and like there's a great yes minister episode, isn't there, when Hackers offered the European Commission, and like you know he's he's talking to his wife about what it will entail, and like these <laughs> the, the, the the like the, the end of the conversation is um his wife going to him I think we've earned a bit of failure after yeah, all our yeah. years of success. It's
1: yeah, I, I I that's it. And I think and uh, but also I think you know leading NATO, I can't remember when when the term end when his term would come, you know, but it's very likely we'll still be involved in you know Ukraine will still be ongoing. You know, he that will be a big that will feel like a big and serious job you know, on a world stage. And... I like Luke. I mean,
0: Luke has said this repeatedly, like, he probably doesn't have any opinions on domestic policy, so he, yeah. he, he would struggle. Um, I, you know what? It's well done. going to get an election in... Six, probably going to get an election in 2024, right? Yep. Keir Starmer has a bit of the Howard Wilson about him. If you squid, Ben Wallace would have a bit of the Alex Douglas doom about them. You know, circle of time, closing in, like territory I mean, at wine.
1: To some extent, I mean, I am I, um, as a, you know, generally as someone who supports the Labour Party and the things they stand for, and as someone who has never, as an adult, seen them win an election... I kind of can't believe Labour will ever win a general election, but also this does feel like, you know, to to, to use a different um, 1970s and 80s uh, comedy reference, the very end of the first season of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, Ford Prefect and Arthur Dent are, and spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't listened to a show that was broadcast, I think, in 1978, and if you haven't, you should. It's very good. Um, so, after six episodes, um, Ford Prefect and Arthur Dent realise that I, I'll start sorry, I'll start again. The start The, the start of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is the, is the Earth being blown up. The end of the first series they realise that through various machinations of time travel, space travel and everything else, they've ended up on the prehistoric Earth two million years before they started. And Arthur and Ford are walking across, and oh, and they and they've been stuck on this planet entirely inhabited by a useless third of another planet's population, people who are hairdressers and telephone sanitizers and you know, account managers for you know for various things. And they're having pointless meetings that aren't going anywhere to try and invent the wheel. Anyway, so and 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 Ford and Arthur are walking across the planet Earth, going. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't, no, nothing matters. You want to burn down the forests to, re, to, to change the currency? Do that. Invent the wheel. None of this matters. Two million years, your planet is over. I feel that about this conservative leadership election. It doesn't matter what they do. You know, it, you've got an economic crisis, to, you know, you've got economic crises after economic crises. You've got a, a government that is led by a man who now, you know, is just who is currently led by a man who is just almost historically unpopular. It doesn't really matter what you do. Two years' time, it's all. this all feels like it'll all be over.
0: Well, I think the thing is, the thing I worry about, I say worry about it, but don't worry about it. I, I think it'd be interesting to see them try. Is um, they can't believe this trust, like the right of the party, they can't believe this trust can win. Um, no, Rishi Sunak has a of how the Tories win which is we induce a recession now to kill inflation um, we then that then gives us the fiscal room to start cutting taxes, increasing public spending again and people feel a lot better in 2024 and that's how we win um, I think he may have less he may not have enough time to do that, but I can see how, like certainly, like if, if this was happening, in, if this was 2020, what you could see how soon that strategy would work. Um, Penny Mordaunt for the strategy of "I am mum's net, mum's net came to flesh. I will be the nation's mummy, and people will love me." Um, which, you know, I'm not entirely sure that will work, but it's a strategy. Well, like, let's just, like, she doesn't have a solution to the economic problems of the day. Actually, her policies will make them work. And the thing I worry about is that the toll, the toll you write is always prone to fatalism. And what they have decided is we are inevitably going to lose the next election. So let's see what mad shit we can get away with in the next two and a half years. Mm. Um, and we will go scorched earth and hopefully enough of it sticks when Labour comes in. I think that's a bad... And this is the whole fact that and kind of frame I, I like to use. Because I I think that's probably mistaken. I think... You do that, you increase the size of the Labour majority. Um it, A, you throw away the next election, which I think the Tories could win because of A, it's a Tories versus Labour. We know how that usually goes. B some as a bit useless. Um and um and you know, C, you know, it should be better in two and a half years' time than it is now. So the trend of economic data should be flow should be given a government a fair win. And it and it is usually the rate of change rather than the level when it comes to the economy. The economy can be worse than when the government took over. But if people feel better than the year before, yeah. they tend to they tend to credit the government for that. And David Cameron in 2015 is a good example of that. So, I think so. They, they're going to throw that away. The, the more mad shit they do, the bigger the majority might be. A, there might be a majority, and B, it might be a bigger one. That will give Sturman more leeway to do stuff, and make him a more solid prime minister. Um, and I think it's just based on a fundamental misreading of history. And it, it's weird, I was talking about this on Twitter, like, I remember... That there was there there is conventional wisdom that the Tories were unfortunate to win the 92 election, and that they'd lost that election. They could they could have regrouped, uh, recalled, and they wouldn't have been out of power for 13 years. And Ken Clark, I remember I remember Polly Toynbee saying this to Ken Clark on Head to Head, and this is when Ken Clark was. Certainly play into the liberal peanut gallery more, even more so than he does now to be honest, you know, opposing the Iraq war, doing all sorts of different things but like he, very, no, like, he like snapped back and he was like the factionite shop trooper that he actually was doing the Factorite like, government so yep. this is the thing, Hesseltine, genuinely heterodox thinker Ken Clark, a Europhile Factorite like there is nothing interesting about Ken Clark's politics other than the fact he really loves Europe. Um but he just stepped back into being the saturated shock trooper and he he very clearly explained, very forcefully explained look, if we lost the 92, Kinnock would have repealed our trade union legislation, he would all uh, he wouldn't have maintained fiscal discipline. And um, they would have reversed some of the privatizations. We wouldn't have been able to continue with some of the privatizations we did on the major. That actually, within 92 was really important in terms of embedding thatcher's revolution, making sure Labour couldn't reverse it at all. And I think that's right. Um, if If there is a big difference between... The Tories losing in 2024, and the Tories losing in 2029. Um, And it's a big difference in terms of Brexit. It's a big difference in terms of other things that have done. And I I, I think that they are badly mistaken. Because if a government comes in and it is committed, it is determined to do this, it can do them in a British system. We're not America. We don't have a billion veto points. No, we actually only have one. Do you have a majority in the House of Commons to do what you want to do, okay, you can do it. Um, so I, I, I think a Tory party maybe trying maybe on the brink of trying to do something very odd that won't do it for the country any favors.
1: Yeah, I, I think I mean, I think there's a lot a lot in that. I think it's I, this isn't meant to be an alternative history thing, but I mean I mean so I think you're. Your point about ninety two is well taken, and Ken Clark's point about ninety two is well taken. Um, but I do, I think, for the, 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 the key the thing is, I don't see how they win again in ninety seven. And if they don't win again in, if, if the Conservatives won again, it won in ninety seven, would they not just have basically been able to reverse the things Labour had done ninety two to ninety seven, carry on, and then carry on with their with you know the privatisations they were able to do in that Parliament?
0: But then don't you just get into what happened in the the 40s and 50s rather than things becoming part of the political settlement. They just become part of the the British. This used to be called the British disease, that we'd have these very very powerful governments that would come in, undo what the previous government did, just in time to lose, and their successors undo everything they did. So, you know, like, I mean, people forget this, but, like, people talk about how left-wing and goodly 1950s conservatives were they did actually do denationalization, some of which stuck. Like, they, they, they I mean, people don't realize just how far, um, Attlee took us down the road to being a genuinely socialist country. <laughs> like, road haulage was nationalized for fuck's sake, Simon. The sugar industry was
1: the sugar, yeah. Well, you know, sugar is delicious and important, you can't not have sugar.
0: I love the fact that Tate and Lyle is one of, like, you're talking about, like, the sinister forces behind Brexit. Forget Russia and all the stuff the crazy Catwoman talks about. Um, Tate and Lyle. Tate and Lyle is one of, like, these dark forces that's been behind the skeptic movement since, like, the 60s, 70s.
1: Well, also, also, um, if if a uh, friend of the podcast, Martin Orchard, is to be believed, um, some of the, some of their, uh, some of their, um, some of their basement rooms are extremely dark indeed, and in a good clean.
0: <laughs> so what I'm saying is, we had Tate and Lyle, the pro-European movement had the CIA.
1: The CIA really are rubbish, aren't they? I mean, come on.
0: Well, I think they took that eye off the ball by 2016. But they did yeah, it work in the 50s? Well, this is my thing. I, I, this is
1: my thing. I think CIA, if the CIA were as powerful as they were now, Donald Trump wouldn't be alive anymore.
0: Oh, yeah. We at some point have to talk about the American hearing. But we have been talking for a while. Yes. What, what do you, who do you think is going to go through to the final six? I, I
1: think, I think it, is, it does look most likely that it's going to be Truss versus Sunak and then what ha- and then I, then it probably is trust because well if the polling is correct if the polling is at, you know if the poll- if the polling is being done is good polling then sunak loses to pretty much everyone now doesn't he i think in the final round he lo- he would have lost to badenock he would have lost to he'd lo- he'd lose to Morden, he'd lose to trust um so there's that so yeah I- that- But we don't, but the problem is polling internal elections in political parties is really hard just because there aren't that many people.
0: Yeah, people have been saying this, but like the the opinion polls in most elections have been pretty good. I don't know where this has became, this thing that people say, because like the the opinion polls for like the Labour election 2006, were bang on the money, same with Boris Johnson in 2019. Um, I think the one I think the first ones when I like two thousand and one and two thousand and five the Tory Leach election they did really well. Um, I always thought that actually the conventional wisdom was that it's actually easier to party uh, party um, election polling because you know what the demographics are yeah. and, and like you don't have the issue of because obviously they are party members but they are engaged so you don't well. have. the big, Differential, well, engaged enough to vote. You don't have the issue of differential um, engagement. Mm. Um, I mean, I think the thing is, it's very volatile at the moment. I mean, to me, I, I think it's really interesting. There's a rumour to be believed that Sunak would rather pay for us. Um, that seems to me like um, everyone hates Penny. <laughs> that basically Penny Mordaunt is not well regarded by a colleague. And that has created quite a hard feeling on her support amongst MPs, um, which is a note, considering her campaign manager's Angela Ledstone, who I think experienced the same issue when she ran for leader in 2016. Um, and it feels like maybe soon they it's kind of just decided Mordaunt can't do the job, um, and that other people you think may have been. Inclined to prefer Mordaunt over Trust, I made the same decision. I'm not saying they're necessarily right, but it just feels like that. I think Mordaunt misplayed the weekend. She seems to be doing almost like a front runner strategy where she probably needs to be more aggressive. But I don't know if you noticed, but she started dumping like a load of shit since Monday, like a much more personal video, a bunch of policy announcements. It feels like she's dropped a load of stuff. and I mean, it's up to her. She just saved the members round. Yeah. Um, to try and regain the momentum. Uh, but like the thing is, like it's going to be close. Because there's only 58 votes in it. Not all of them will go to Mordor and Trust. Quite a few will go to and um, We don't know what school is going on. Um, I would be I would be surprised if Trust doesn't uh, finish in the top two, but I wouldn't be shocked.
1: I, I think I think that's right. I think it's it would be she is the she is the favourite to, to get into the final two, but she's not absolutely guaranteed. There's not you don't think there's any chance of the of the genuine banter outcome of of Morden versus Trust then.
0: Um. No, because I think, I think that the way that happened is if Sunak's backers had a complete meltdown. Yeah. But he, he, he clearly won the two debates um, um, of the serious campus. Like, Tugendhal did well on Channel 4 because he just was like, I'm not part of this government. Fuck you guys. Tom, politics is a team sport. You're trying to get people who back this government to vote for you. Um, so Sunak clearly won their debate. So that to the bleeding. Obviously, they had the big uh, morale boost, propaganda boost, of gaining so many uh, votes in the third round, which still yeah. doesn't make any sense and is a probably evidence of school-duggery. But then, of course, you also have um, the, the latest YouGov polling, which shows Mordaunt also losing to trust, no m- more narrowly than Sunak, but still losing. So, Mordaunt's argument, I am the only one who can beat trust, doesn't seem as credible now as it did this time last week. So, I, it doesn't feel like he's going to lose enough support. To put both women in, so, yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 would be shocked. I would be shocked if Sunak wasn't in the top two. I would laugh hysterically. It'd be very, very funny. Oh yeah,
1: no, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, I think we both agreed. Then I think on ballot, the likeliest outcome is Sunak versus Trust, but Sunak versus Morden wouldn't wouldn't shock us
0: and that loses both races?
1: I think probably, yeah.
0: Um, it'd be really interesting to see if he actually goes into the cabinet if he loses. My guess is he probably doesn't.
1: I, I mean, it doesn't. Because he, he is running sort of quite a different economic... I think he is running quite a different vision of the economy. And it's a weird thing. This is the thing with the Boris, with the like or would you put Boris Johnson? One of the questions asked in one of the debates is, "Or would you put Boris Johnson in your cabinet? The answer is, even if Boris Johnson wasn't Boris Johnson, you just don't put former prime ministers in the cabinet anymore, other than the aforementioned Sir Alec Douglas Hume, who was uh, Heath's foreign secretary. But, like, you just go, like, no, no, you know, it just, it 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 would create an extra power base having another prime minister, you know, it just would be a bad call, you know. But Arthur Balfour served loads of former prime ministers.
0: He served Asticwith, so he's loaded his successors. He served under Asticwith, Lloyd Budge, um, Bambi Baldwin. Um, I think he may have briefly served under Ramsey MacDonald. I think he replaced Austin Chamberlain as first Lord of the Admiralty.
1: But I think, like I, I feel relatively confident saying that was quite a long time ago. As was Douglas Hume, is kind of my point, is it doesn't happen. You know, that just is not the way things work now. And I just kind of think that. Okay. Do you know who, Ted
0: Heath was offered a position in Margaret Thatcher's cabinet?
1: That would have been incredible.
0: Oh, that um, would have been
1: such fun. Um, to, to be
0: fair, there were discussions about offering a position in our cabinet. Oh, well, that's I, it. Yeah, no. I mean,
1: you know.
0: I think, I think, and like it was like both within the government but also within, like in public, that, that there was this expectation that he could be offered a role. I want to say, I think he was ultimately offered
1: um, ambassador to Paris. I mean, I would have been, that would have I would have taken, that sounds like a lovely job. If someone would like to make me British ambassador to Paris, I will take that job. I would it like to make that past- clear now. I would, I would love to be British ambassador to Paris, Mostly because of the, uh, mostly because of the pastries. That's great. I'm sorry, I missed you there for a bit.
0: I said, I said, it's a disgrace. Those French cheeses, it's not like I,
1: Stilton. I mean, st- I, this is the thing. Actually, this I, I won't stand there as my you know metropolitan liberal elite. But I also I do absolutely love Stilton. It's probably my favourite cheese.
0: Yeah, but I think, okay, here's one of the things, right? This is one of those weird ones where I don't think, like, middle-class Tories understand how posh they are. Because when I was growing up, the joke would be there's only two types of cheese, the red one and the, the yellow one. Yeah. Like, it was quite posh to, like, things like Stilton.
1: No, I, I think that's fair. I don't know. Is that, yeah. No, I think I think that's fair.
0: Um... Anyway, yeah, so I think we are in agreement. We can all go home, prepare, uh, to feast on, inside the goo of the ERG's head. Um <laughs> Don't worry, there's not much in there. Oh, good. <laughs> but we have, to li- we have to end on the most important question of British politics. What w- w- are you looking forward Nadine Doris entering the uh, House House of Lords. I mean,
1: yes, because then she won't have to do anything. She won't have any real power. That's good. Um, do you think? I mean, do you think that's what? You think she'll stick around to the next election?
0: No. The rumor is she's to be in. The rumor is she's to be in Johnson's resignation on her. I mean,
1: I know mid Bedfordshire is a safe seat, but North Shropshire was a safe seat. Tiverton and Honiton was a safe seat. Do they really want to fight a by election right now? I don't, the, think Boris, I don't think Boris Johnson cares what happens to his successor. This is actually, that is fair. He is very much a let's set, let's. He, I mean, he, there is, a, there is, a, there is a, a, a school of thought that basically Boris Johnson. <laughs> almost wants to see the Tories go down to a big defeat to the next election. You go, you see, I'm the only one that can make can make you win. But before,
0: before we actually finish up, I do want to say, I don't know if you've any thoughts about the vote of no confidence. I, I have, I have flip-flopped. I think the government were right to reject Labour's motion and I think they did the decent thing of putting forward a proper vote of no confidence motion um, in its place, um, the the issue of Labour's motion, um, which is why it's not like the examples from the 60s people were comparing it to, was that it explicitly linked the vote of no confidence to the employment of a particular minister, in this case, the prime minister. So it wasn't really a vote of no confidence in the government. It was a vote of no confidence in an individual minister. It was trying to give Parliament the power to sack a particular minister. That's not Parliament's role. Um, it's not been Parliament's role since we got rid of impeachment. Um, parliament can say yes or no to the government of the day. It can't tell the government of the day how it's co- uh, no, what its makeup should be. Um, if they had said, you no, know, this House has no confidence, In this government and applause, uh, no, Prime Minister Johnson's behavior over the past 18 months, fine, but they went a step further and actually linked the the voter no confidence into Johnson continuing to stay in Downing Street, and that's not what the voter no confidence motions are meant to be used
1: for. Yeah, I mean, that seems that seems fair. Um. I didn't understand. I think that I understood. I didn't really understand why they decided to have a vote of confidence in themselves. That seemed like a waste of everybody's time. But well, so. I
0: think the idea was is that because Labour had submitted a vote of no confidence, there should be one. Mm, I'm not, yeah. So even if you reject, so what the Tories were trying to do was get Labour to agree to a proper wording. And because they couldn't get Labour to agree to all, so they wouldn't be shouted at. They just put forward their own voter confidence. So you still had that opportunity. It should be said, why, like, we, I know why, but like that voter no confidence debate went exactly like I said it would. It went exactly like Thatcher um, kidnapped. Less effusive, because I think the Tory party is less sad about getting rid of Boris Johnson than it was about Margaret Thatcher. But Boris Johnson did do well in the chamber. Did kind of get the better of Gear Starmer because it's just clearly a ridiculous thing to do. You know? you know, the leader is going, the prime minister is going. You just, it just feels like you're kicking somebody whilst they're down. Yeah. Um, and it's just a waste of everybody's time.
1: Well, that, that, that actually was my main takeout from it. it was, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm less interested in, in it from a sort of always oh, this correct protocol perspective. But then uh, what is the point of this? Boris Johnson will go soon. I, I agree, he should go sooner. But don't wait. Yeah, it felt like a. It, it, the whole thing just felt like a waste of everybody's time from both sides. And yeah,
0: you know, you know who's fault was, don't you? It,
1: it, it probably. You're gonna, are you going to blame Keir Starmer or someone more obscure?
0: Uh, no, well, not more obscure. Cursive walk.
1: And Interesting. Who,
0: and, I, and actually, whoever is the shadow leader of the House, which is pretty obscure because I've forgotten the name. Um,
1: is it Tangham Debonair?
0: W- Tang That's the one. Um, I watched Newsnight uh, last week. I am blaming Stephen Bush. Oh. Um, um, And they had a debate between the leader of the House, Peter Bone and somebody else. And Peter Bone was basically, this was before Boris Johnson had stood down. And Peter Bone was basically in. Uh, Labour called a vote of no confidence. So, so this was where this would be Tuesday. That so this would be the when the idea of a of a hostile uh, snap election was being seriously mooted by Boris Johnson before the palace told him to sit down and stop being bad. Um, and um, the shadow leader of the house couldn't explain why that was a stupid idea. And because she couldn't explain it, Kirsty Walker, as a classic BBC anchor, saw somebody from the Tory side saying something stupid with conviction, saw somebody from the Labour side saying something confused with no conviction, and started amplifying the Tory message. And like a day later, it became Labour's policy to call a vote of no confidence.
1: Sad, it's sad when you have to make it do that through, through embarrassment rather than just quietly. you know.
0: I was just like, did like, this in 1990 and it went really badly for the Labour Party and it went really well for Margaret Thatcher. Like, this was foreseen. Everybody who knows anything about British political history knows that putting that vote no confidence down was a bad idea. Oh, well. Oh, well. It is what it is indeed. So Ivan will calling, Eastern Salmon Alvey. We're both still fairly hot. I hope we're, cool we're, I think, I th- soon.
1: We're all we're all hot. It's a very it's all a podcast hot. full of hot people.
0: Um and we'll talk to you again in a while.